Welcome to Conversations with Quiet Leaders. My name is Juliet Morris. I believe there is greatness in leading and building teams through powerful listening, what's being said and what's being heard. In this podcast, you'll hear from quiet leaders who are being more bold, more brave and more comfortable with who they are. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Firas to the podcast episode. And Firas is a leadership and executive coach from Kuwait with over 20 years of experience in corporate IT operations and leadership. He now leverages this experience in his dedicated practice to help other leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to grow into those roles to work and live with calm and clarity. So welcome, Firas. Um, and I, I, I love your intro because that whole live with calm and clarity almost like it epitomizes the, the, the values of quiet leadership in many ways. Absolutely. And, uh, and as we were talking earlier, it, it's funny how I've seen what is important to leaders has changed even over the past few months of me having conversations with other leaders and, and seeing where they're really stuck in their work and lives. Um, coming from a corporate background, the focus tends to be on performance. It's doing more and more and more mm-hmm. with less and less and less. And I adapted to that in my career, but I saw where that fell apart for, for me and for others. And uh, what was missing was, was that calm and, and clarity. It's, uh, it's slowing down. It's having that you know, time to, to reflect mm-hmm. and to actually see what's important that we rarely do unless we're forced to, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, and, and later on, I can share you know, my experiences with that and, and you know, where I had broken down and, and had to kind of slow down and, and stop to look at things. And that gave me a whole new perspective on, on what leaders really need to keep going and do the amazing work that they do. I'd love to hear today what what quiet leadership means to you. Is it different to what it was when you first encountered it? Or I'm seeing it, I think, clearer. And I think it's become, and it is kind of funny because even with the, the leaders that I work with, I used to think that, first of all, I mean, in my career, I used to think I was different from all the other leaders that I saw. And, and that I was the oddball out. I was the exception to the rule because leaders tended to be very uh, outgoing, very outspoken, uh, uh, very energetic, you know, always in the, in the forefront uh, of whatever organizations or, or teams they were a part of. And I was never like that. And I never thought of myself as a leader earlier on when I was in those positions or, or roles myself. But I kept hearing from the people that I worked with that I was different, that I was they saw me as a leader or they saw those attributes and leaders that they were looking for or would hear about or would read about, but weren't really seeing in their day-to-day work and, and careers. And, and it was funny because I couldn't, I couldn't see that <laughs> Back with that conception, you know, concept of leaders being, you know, those people that are out there, the people that are in the front, the people that you hear about in the news and so on. And now when I've kind of stepped out of the, the, the working in, in corporate and, and starting to have more conversations as a coach with other leaders and executives. It, it both surprised me and it didn't at the same time. It made a lot of sense because I started to see a lot more quiet leaders out there. And it, and it clicked. I think I just, it just dawned on me, I think a week or two ago, and I was like, there's a lot more of us out there. But I realized why I didn't see them, I didn't hear them, because like me, they were being quiet and 
and kind of doing their own thing. And they would only, I guess, show up or or be attracted to other quiet leaders. And that's that's the kind of people that I started having more conversations with. And it was funny because I thought I had to be more outgoing, more extroverted to to work with with those people. But it was my calmer side, my quieter uh, aspect of them. That, uh, of me that attracted them to, to have these conversations with me. And I just found that ironic because I was working earlier on with a coach to help me be more extroverted and be more outgoing mm-hmm, and be more mm-hmm, energetic. Mm-hmm. But the more conversations I had with people, that was funny because they're like, that's a differentiating factor. That's where we see you as different or what you know what attracted us to having conversations with you was that calm and quiet uh, nature of you. You're one eye. I think it's probably when I first transitioned to an organization that had branches in, in different countries. Uh, not that many. It was, I was working for an FS, FMCG, um, a food, uh, fast-moving consumer, basically a food distributor. The focus became more on how to coordinate and communicate with people in different places without being able to see them, without being able to, let's say, monitor mm-hmm. them day to day and so on. Uh, and that's where... I got transitioned even in my career more from the infrastructure side of IT to the focus of being more on the systems and the, and, and uh, those kinds of projects, which involved a lot of talking to a lot of people. And as a quieter person, as a, you know, as a self-classified introvert, I found that intimidating, but I saw the importance of it because when I'd hear, you know, taking my IT background from wanting, wanting to troubleshoot and figure out where the challenges were with these projects, I started to hear people having very different perspectives of the same issue or the same problem or the same project. So I started to utilize my quiet side and I started just listen instead of my willingness and ability, I think, to listen to people from different parts of the organization and different roles. That was my strong suit because I would start to pick out the patterns and I would kind of be able to narrow down where the challenges were and, and help to negotiate between different different you know, people within the organization because I felt awkward whenever I did talk. You know, so I, so I did as little of it as I had to, to, to kind of get my, my work done. But then as I got comfortable in listening to people and kind of seeing that uh, it became clearer and clearer to me. So I started to kind of share what I was seeing, but it was a, was a recurring theme. People would always tell us, we never hear somebody talk, you know, listen so much to us. We never heard anybody. We never you know worked with anybody that um, really cared about listening. It was, it was, it was a lack of self judgment, a lack of judgment. And then somebody that would listen to us really wanting to know what the problems were, how they could help us, how they could help us help, I guess, the organization and the projects we're working on. It started to dawn on me that, you know, there there is a different leadership style. They, they were, they had a lot of great leaders, a lot of outgoing leaders, but they weren't supporting, let's say, these teams and getting their work done. And another organization I'd worked with, I think, within the first year, and that kind of became my, my thing whenever I'd go into a new organization, because I'd usually, as an IT for about like three or four companies in a row, I'd be brought on to kind of revamp the IT department and all these. So it kind of became my go-to approach is whenever I'd join a new organization, I'd just schedule meetings with everybody that I could get my hands on of all levels to just get as broad, you know, as detailed mm-hmm. and as broad and as deep a picture as I could about where the challenges were. And uh, the first re- award I'd received was I think the the one that, uh, like some, something along the lines of best communicator, the one that serves the people the most, you know, the one that listens and talks to people the most, like the most sociable, the most 
cooperative, the team player. And I was like, wow. It's like, I'm the one who was trying to avoid talking to people as much as possible. I'd never imagined myself getting acknowledged for something like that. And that's where it kind of made it real for me. I was like, I saw myself as somebody hiding and avoiding people. Well, hold on. <laughs> Everybody said the opposite. When you were saying that, you still look surprised. Does that still surprise you? Yeah, still this day. It's still... <laughs> I'm I'm kind of like acknowledging the fact that that's how people see me. So there might be something there, <laughs> but inside it still feels different. It still feels like, nah, is it really? And I just kind of gave, I'm starting to realize where I'm just kind of giving up on, on believing that or convincing myself of it and just rolling with it and seeing where it goes. And I was just having a conversation yesterday and uh, where somebody was asking me that. I was like, oh, you're so outgoing. You need to get out there more. I have these, and I'm like, I actually prefer these smaller groups and smaller intimate conversations the smaller the group or the closer it is to one-on-one -on -one conversation, the more of, of, I guess, of myself and my, uh, that I can share in terms of my insights and what I've seen in, in leadership. And, and it was funny, it was somebody who I'd previously worked with in an organization. I was just like, I never thought, I thought you were like the most outgoing person. I never thought of you as a, as a quiet person or, or I used to do that in bursts, you know, it's like I used to kind of put all everything all in, mm -hmm, go, mm -hmm. go in there, do what needs to be done and then kind of retreat for a little while and kind of re-energize and come back in. And that's where I think even I started looking at the, you know, the different definitions of introverts and, and even seeing, you know, what my labeling myself as an introvert was affecting in terms of my perspective. So a lot of people think that introverts are just people that don't like talking to people. Uh, and that's what I used to think as well. But I was, I was kind of confused because I, I do like talking to people. It takes a lot out of me, but I realized it takes a lot out of me because I listen a lot and that where it looks like you're not doing a lot, a lot. It's a lot of brain power, I think, is being, is this churning. We kind of tend to analyze more. We, we listen more deeply and kind of start to look at the different scenarios and kind of put a lot of things together that could lead to burnout. So I had to kind of figure a way, a way to, to balance that out where I had all the conversations that I needed to have without burning myself out. You make a really good point because quite often it's natural for us to hook ourselves onto a label you know you're introvert you're extrovert you're confident you're not confident you know all this all this stuff and I was liking it to I have a lot of music in my life so liking it to a music score where you know you have the loud parts the crescendos and then you have the quiet parts and you might have a grand finale but I, I think that for me personally it's when I'm really passionate about something and it's all good intention then you put that energy, it flows that way naturally. And I think that's the beauty of saying, this is who I am. I'm really comfortable with that. And I think we grow into that. And that's what I'm hearing from you is you've grown into that over the years and you're much more comfortable with it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a beautiful analogy and, and well spotted because I would always step into leadership roles. And that's another, I think, aspect of quiet leaders is they, they kind of step into these roles or they grow into them themselves without necessarily even being put into them. And that's how I kind of rose through the ranks. Wasn't because uh, I was nominated or put into these positions. It was, and a lot of the managers that I used to mentor and coach uh, would ask me, it's like, you're a very technical person. How are you so good with people? And how are you, you know, how'd you learn management and all these things. And and I didn't traditionally have much management training and everything. I realized that I, it was seeing whenever I'd hold back and kind of hide in the, in the background, I would see how things could be done so much better and more efficiently. And, and, you know, like, oh, but they're missing this person. And, oh, that person's kind of burnt out. They're not aware of that. And this person's overloaded. Not, they're not helping them. I used to get frustrated with myself for being quiet and hiding in the back. So I'd start to, like, kind of 
slowly, uh, you know, you know, slip into that leadership role, whether I like it or not. But then I'd get overwhelmed because there was a lot of pressure, a lot of a lot of stress, and I'd, I'd I'd kind of slip back in and I'd go back and forth. But then, as you said, I started to get more comfortable with it. Uh, I realized that you know, to, to get things done to to influence change or impact, uh, you know, we need to do what we can. It's just sitting back and I guess complaining or or criticizing is is not very helpful. You talked early on about, you know, sometimes you feel that overwhelm. How did you get through that overwhelm? I guess it, it kind of comes in. It's, it's uh, par for course with, with leaders. Once we kind of figure out one challenge or one milestone or we break through some always. some challenge, we, we always find another one to, to, uh, to challenge ourselves with. But that being said, it was shifting the focus, others, uh, you know, shifting the focus to what's the benefit that's going to come out of this project or what, what's the, fo- you know, what's the benefit of if I don't step into this role, do I see it being successful? Uh, will this project become successful? Not because Philos is the one who's going to fix everything. It's just Philos is the one that kind of will listen to everybody and make sure that everybody's uh, you know, has their two cents and everybody's contributing to the project and everybody's requirements and needs are at least being heard if not, uh, if not fully, uh, fully addressed or taken into consideration. When I did that, I'd, I'd shift into listening to people, hearing what they needed, and that just helped me see things easier, clearer. And I think that's human nature, right? The, the, the more we look at ourselves or we kind of try to puzzle things out within ourselves, the more we get caught up in our own heads, it's easier for us to be objective when it's with others. <laughs> and it's the same thing with, you know, shifting that energy when we, when we look at how we can serve others or better support others. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much easier to do for us and it makes us, uh, I guess, less self-conscious of whatever you know, perceptions we have of, you know, uh, our inability to do this or that. Yeah, it's so true that that servant leadership piece. But I was reading something earlier today that talked about that. You know, when we encounter fear, it's because we're so focused inwardly. Whereas if you focus outwardly and on others, you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about other people, so you don't have that fear. The minute we have to start fearing ourselves, we're analysing ourselves, overthinking it, and overcompensating for things that seemingly aren't there. And it's a rabbit hole, you know, it's how I'm seeing things, you know, I have, I have times where things are very clear and, and, and I'm focused and that's the time usually when I'm focused on others and serving others. And the times when I'm, that I get stuck and, I, uh, and I'm struggling is usually those times where I'm completely inwardly focused. Mm. And it was the same thing with my work. There's the minute that I started to focus on, you know, on myself in terms of am I able to do this or not, the more I'd get stressed out, the more I'd kind of just lift the focus to, you know, what needs to be done. Who do I need to support? Who do I need to get on board? And then I kind of, I know what to do. And there's a lot less thinking involved and more doing. So you talked a lot about your corporate career. What about your childhood, teenage years? What did you feel you were different at that point? You know, that quieter side? Definitely. I, I, like like I didn't feel like I fit in in corporate. I didn't feel like I fit in growing up. not just because of my quieter nature, but also, I guess, socially, I I was raised in a typical Kuwaiti family. Both my parents are Kuwaiti, my brothers and sisters all gone to government school. I was the only one that went to a private English school. So I was kind of out of place in that sense. Um, English was my predominant language, or I guess my stronger suit. So even linguistically, I, I'd connected more with foreign-speaking or English-speaking foreigners than I did with, with you know, with the with my own, uh, I guess, you know, native uh, people. So I'd always felt out of place in that sense. 
And I'd always questioned why we did things the way we did things. Arabs, we have a lot of traditions and cultures, and, and but I was always questioning why we did things. <laughs> I never liked taking things as they were. So if this, well, we just have to do this because, you know, our parents used to do this, or we used to do this when we were kids. I'd question that. I'd always, not for the sake of just being a stubborn or annoying child, because I, I was just genuinely curious. I'd like to understand why people did the things the way they did. Uh, and yeah, that led me to, similar to, I think, even how, it, how I turned out in my career, it was the same thing kind of growing up. I wouldn't, I would be the quiet one in a new classroom or in, you know, whenever playing sports or a new team or something like that. But whenever I saw that something can be done better, somebody can be helped more, somebody can be served, that's where I'd kind of jump in uh, and, and do my thing. So I, I was similar. I'd find myself in leadership roles without really wanting to be in those roles and being pushed into a, you know, in a team leader, a classroom leader, and so on, where I would be terrified of the attention and the focus, but I would love being able to contribute more and, and actually, you know, uh, address the real issues, I guess, or the real problems that, that others weren't seeing or, or addressing. You talked about the beauty of, you know, stepping into that quiet leadership piece, you know, the listening and the hearing things. What about the other side? where people who listen to this may be feeling, well, I am very introverted, I'm very quiet, you know, it makes me feel really uncomfortable. What, what, what's your thoughts around that? And going back to what we said earlier, it's just realizing, first of all, that it's not the circumstance. I think that really, because we tend to think that way, right? We think, uh, I can't do well with, with people, I don't talk well to groups. So just realizing that it's not so much the situation or the people that we're worried about it's it's really us it's we're doubting ourselves we're questioning ourselves we're judging ourselves so just being aware of that realizing that and kind of hearing that we we will see those patterns and also looking at i mean just seeing where our interests and our energy shifts like i said like i'm terrified of speaking to people but my energy shifts when i'm in conversation with people and that confused me for a while uh, now i'm leaning into that because i just realized I mean, up to that, it's me worrying myself sick. And I understand different people have different levels of intensity of that feeling. Uh, I have children who are highly sensitive and, and one of my daughters you know, uh, is, you know, has, has anxiety and, and she has challenging, challenges speaking to people. My daughter's actually, uh, you know, she struggles with selective mutism. She doesn't speak to people outside the house. That was a challenge in itself of, do we push her to speak to people? You know, what do we do with this? And she's brilliant. Uh, uh, she's intelligent and so on, but being and seeing herself as not able to speak to people was challenging in education. How do we show them that she actually is smarter than they think or that she knows what she's doing or to even give her a chance? So it was less about kind of forcing her that I started to look at how do I encourage her to lean into the things that give her more energy, do things that she's more comfortable with, I'm not a believer of jump in and just do it. Uh, and I, I see how that works for some people, but for others, and it tends to be more of us that are quieter and more introverted and more overthinkers, that, that stresses it out, us out more, that burns us out more. Seeing how I could help my daughter express herself and, 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 and keep up with schoolwork and so on in a way where she wasn't being forced to speak was, you know, that, that, that was something new to me because I had to work with, you know, the, her teachers in school who weren't used to working with, with children uh, like that. So it, it literally you know, I had to think out of the box. So I had to see where she was interested in. She was, instead of speaking directly to people, she could, you know, she loved writing, she loved reading. So I would encourage that more. 
And the more that she got comfortable doing that, seeing that, we'd find a way to express herself. Because at the end of the day, what is it that we're really trying to do by speaking, for example? We're trying to communicate something. And we all think that we have to be certain speakers in a certain way to do that. And that's what I'm going through right now in my business and my work, trying to see how people are traditionally doing doing that and getting their message out there versus what feels good for me. Start looking at her comfort zone. You know, how do I make her feel more comfortable to express herself? Does it need to be in speaking? She's, you know, she's not comfortable speaking with people face to face. Maybe she could do it. She sends messages to her fellow classmates, record videos instead of talking to them directly. We kind of had to build our way up to it. But there were a lot of alternative ways where in the beginning, all I saw was, oh my God, my daughter can't speak to people. You know, her future is doomed. That, that was disturbing as a parent. But then when I let go of that and started to look for other options and other ways of doing it, she flourished. Uh, you know, she went from somebody who was struggling in school to being up of her class, leading in her class. She's, she's a class leader that doesn't speak to, to, to the teacher or the rest of the students. She, she puts their rights on the board. It's really questioning, do I have to do it this way that I think needs to be done? Or if I'm not comfortable doing that, how can I get my message out there or whatever I want to share with people out. And there are so many avenues of doing it now, especially with technology. For me, I didn't start speaking directly to people because I was not comfortable doing that. Uh, I started writing, get comfortable to finding my voice first, I guess. Now I'm more comfortable doing ad hoc conversations with people showing up, uh, not having written out every single thing that I think I'm going to say here, <laughs> having all my references ready. I, I, I used to do that. And that's how I traditionally prepare for things. And that was very stressful. And I, and I think it's it's funny, actually. Um, my daughter's assignment, uh, the impact of social media on, on, on teenagers or children. And I think that expectation of that we all need to be great speakers and all have to post things live, it's, it's because of social media. We see others doing it. Where in reality, you know, the people actually doing these kinds of uh, things online are the minority. You know, they're, they're, they're few and far between. But it makes it feel like that's how everybody is beautiful story around expression every person is an individual and every person as an individual has got to right to express themselves the way they want to express themselves rather than conforming to what we perceive as normal in society and there's there's a real beauty in that yeah and 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 i was stuck with that myself when i first started doing this work thinking how do i get whatever my message is out there to people I started, okay, I, my initial, I go into my analytical mode and kind of, you know, okay, is it blogging versus YouTube videos versus, you know, various social media platforms? Is it this versus that? Is this better than that? And I kind of fell into that trap of thinking that it's the media or the platform or the way, uh, you know, what we used to express ourselves is what was important. And the more I kept looking at that and more I kind of experimented with different things and delved into you know, different programs and speaking to different people and talking to people who do podcasts and YouTube videos and fellow colleagues and friends and so on. And I saw that common theme was like, at the end of the day, it's, it's really not about which of these is, is better. People, there are successful people on each of these platforms. There are successful blog writers, there are successful YouTubers, or successful Instagrammers. So it's not so much about the platform, it's more about the message. It's more about the person, uh, you know, what are they sharing? And that just really alleviated a lot of pressure on me because I was trying to juggle multiple, multiple you know, platforms and posting across things and that stressed me out. Uh, and I became less and less authentic and, I, and my message kind of got drowned out in terms of what I really wanted to share because I thought I needed to conform and post a certain way and in a certain 
method because that's what all the marketing courses were saying or all the people that are you know doing this were saying this worked for me better than that. I realize it really depends on what is it, what are you comfortable with, what best supports you in sharing what you need to share, what is you know uh, what helps you get your message out there more often at the end of the day. So essentially, my message for anybody that struggles with that. And if they want, first of all, it's be clear. Or do you want to do this because you would like to do it for yourself or because you think others are telling you to do that, whether it's your parents, whether it's your colleagues at work, your boss or so on. That's very important is to clarify that because if you're trying to force yourself to do something for others, it will always be a struggle, uh, unfortunately. Now, if it's something that you would like to do, but you don't see yourself able to do or don't think, then 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 question the, the means, you know, do you, you would like to share something, but you think you need to do it in this way. Is that really true? You know, is there another way you'd be more comfortable sharing? Start sharing in the way that you're most comfortable with and do it more often. You will get more comfortable and then that you'll, it'll be much easier for you to consider sharing in other ways. Mm, yeah. Great tips. Thank you. You've talked about stress a little bit throughout our conversation today. I'm curious to know at what point do you know when you're moving into that phase and what tips do you have for people? It's when I'm thinking more than I'm doing. <laughs> it's usually my, <laughs> yes. my, my indicator. Uh, there isn't like a fixed cutoff point. Uh, obviously it varies on the situation, and, but we, we tend to see that in ourselves. We'll, we can notice that if we, if we just reflect a little bit. I think that by being stressed out, by being worried, it will help us do something better it will help us focus and uh, i mean lovely i heard michael neal once said is people look at stress and how we perform under stress and think that our performance is actually because of that stress and it isn't it's when we get stressed we tend to focus because you know we're forced we're forcing ourselves into an unpleasant situation where we're near panic and that helps us narrow our vision down to, to eventually getting something done we can focus without being stressed. Then the options open up for us. You know, it's, we don't really need that. But traditionally, we get used to that. It's like, oh, I get stressed out, therefore I can focus, therefore I can get done what I need to get done. But do I really need that, that stress and pressure to focus? Not really. Because when we look at things we genuinely enjoy and do, uh, love and, and do, my example, scuba diving. Like I'm not a morning person. That's another label that I have for myself. But the day that I have a diving trip, well, I would get up at five o'clock in the morning, no alarms, nothing. When, we're, when we were on vacation, I'd be up before a crack of dawn. I'd be out taking photos and walking on the beach and so on. I'd come back and wake up my wife and kids. So it's not, am I a morning person or am I not? How, what do I think about what it is that I have to do when I get up that's stressing me out uh, and preventing me from, from doing that uh, when it gets to the, you know, to, the, to the state where I'm thinking more about the thing that, that I'm doing than it is that I'm actually doing it. And just being conscious of that, you know, being more aware of that helps me see when I'm essentially freaking myself out, overwhelming myself, putting the pressure on myself. Uh, it's not the circumstance. At the end of the day, it's really what I'm thinking about it leading up to it. It goes back to that, that energy. We talked about focus, but it's actually things that you love doing where you'll put your energy and then it that just automatically takes you and drives you. In reality, they're not that different. You know, it is what the variable there is not the circumstance because I have days where I think about going out with friends or family and doing something that where I can feel annoyed and stressed by it. And there are days where I look forward to it. So the factor here is, is not actually going out and, and doing something. It's it's what am I thinking about that time? In my case, you know, 
I don't like ad hoc uh, outings, for example. So if a friend calls up and says, let's go do something, that, that stresses me out. So mm. I, I started noticing that. But I'm like, but I still enjoy going out this friend of mine. It's just I have to plan it a week ahead. Uh, so noticing that, realizing that it's essentially our thinking that's uh, and our perspective uh, or outlook on it that's making it stressful, pressure, you know, or not. And, and it is challenging with the things that we have less control over or less choice over. And one thing, I, you know, whenever I'd be coaching or mentoring my team members or reviewing their performance or so on, one constant theme I'd hear from not all people, but most, most people, and usually those are the ones that were stuck in their careers, were not progressing or so on, was, well, we don't have a choice. You know, it's like, it's, this is the way that it is, and this is how the job is, and I'm not happy with it, and I don't have a choice. And I started to realize, having realized it for myself before that, is actually that's not true. You always have a choice. You have a choice to not show up to work. You have a choice to, to not come to work. You have a choice of not making any income. That's a choice. It's not a pleasant one. But that's a choice. Um, so it's thinking that we don't have any choice in the matter whatsoever. You always, we always do. I can show up to that uh, outing with the family, you know, and enjoy it, or I can show up and be miserable and make them miserable and. It, which will make me mis- even more miserable. And I can show up in this project that's a challenging project that maybe I didn't have as much input in that I would like to, uh, that maybe was unplanned, that's maybe you know not budgeted well. I can choose to sit and nitpick and, and see all the possible challenges and find the obstacles in it. But at the end of the day, it's not going to help me get it done. So I, I can shift my focus, shift my energy from, oh my God, how do you do this to me to, Let's go into problem-solving mode. You know, what do I need to do? Okay, maybe it's not an ideal scenario, but what can I do with what I have? And that's what helped me take on more of these challenging job roles and positions where I, before I used to, I was just like, you know, my, my team members complain about how, uh, how problematic IT support was and so on. But when I saw it as, you know, it's literally just a shift of focus and, and energy. It is literally, you know, yeah, it seems like it's just a play on words, but as you said, the energy is different when we do mm-hmm. things differently. And some of my team members would see that and I'd see them flourish and change in their careers. And and some, you know, would resist or struggle with that and would remain stuck where they were stuck. That's some great tips in there. That journey of self-acceptance, self-awareness and choice. Yeah, that's beautiful. And the awareness that these things that we feel, the circumstances that we see as difficult are literally of our own making. It is our thinking. And I was reflecting, I think, towards the end of last year. I kind of like written up a post about my reflections of last year. And I was kind of had an interesting insight. It's like I perform very well in times of crisis, but it's in times where I'm very relaxed and things aren't as critical, where I tend to stress out more and, and, and feel more pressure. I lived through a war as a 12 year old. We did what we needed to do to survive. There wasn't a lot of thinking. It was like, yeah, do we have food? Is my mom safe? Is my grandma safe? Because we're, we're, we're moving in between two houses, me and my brother. So it was, it was down to essentials. And it's like, you know, we weren't sitting there complaining about how it happened and why, we, you know, this other country invaded us. And it was just like, this is reality. And it's, I can either get stuck in, 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 in my own thinking about it and, and get myself in a dangerous situation or I could adapt and do what I needed to do. But I see that it, it is... In our thinking and our feeling, it, it does feel like it's harder when we have a lot more choice, when we have a lot more say in it. Um, but in, in certain times, when it comes to basic human survival, we, we go into auto 
pilot mode and we go into survival mode and there's not a lot of thinking. So the, the variable here is our thinking. It's, it's not the situation you know, as horrible as, as, as you know, we've all had you know, challenges at work. I mean, I've, I've faced literal crises, you know, fires, you know, data center burning down, which is like every mm -hmm. IT department's mm -hmm. worst nightmare. We've sur I've survived that, you know, we've recovered from that. Uh, I've helped my team actually learn and, and improve from, from such disasters. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, as a child, I lived through a war. I've, I've been through a lot of medical uh, challenges myself and, and with family members. And in each of those, it was, I just did what I had to do. But like I said, it's when I have a lot of time to think <laughs> and, and I get caught up in, in, in how bad is this or, you know, how, how horrible it can be or so on. That's, that's the time where I get stressed out. I feel pressure. Thank you so much, Reyes. That was wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time and your openness. You're very welcome. That's a pleasure. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation and the topic because we, we did talk about it earlier. And, and I love the work that you're doing because quiet leaders tend to be quieter. <laughs> so that, <laughs> yes. Having that option as, you know, as others, especially for, for, for people newer to leadership roles just coming up, I guess, and in their in their careers or lives in those positions that aspire to do more help others do more but see that the traditional leadership role is not for them it's it's beautiful what you're doing because it's showing them that that all that works brilliantly for some people that's not the only option uh, you can be a quiet leader and still be as impactful if not more so because of what we traditionally thought were i guess our uh, you know, the things that we're lacking or the things that we struggle with in terms of being quieter and being more attuned uh, to listening than, than speaking. Those are, those are powerful skills and traits to have as a quiet leader. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I love to talk and work with people and businesses who want to achieve more. I challenge their thoughts to create possibility. Anyone can be part of the conversation Leave me a message, ask a question and connect with me.